as we embrace our God-given calling. You see, this idea of developing rhythms is not new in our lives. Every day or season of life, we are developing rhythms. I remember going off to college, being forced to develop some rhythms. Why? Because Mama Craig ain't coming with us. Uh, And so I had to figure out how the alarm clock worked. Uh, That was important because then I needed to get to class on time. I needed to get to bed on time first, which is just just didn't happen. Uh, There's just too many movies to watch in the world. And so, I mean, too many books to read, too many books to read in the world. And mom wasn't there, so I had to start to develop some rhythms. I had to start to know when it was okay to eat ice cream and frozen pizza at the same time. It's never okay to eat that. At the, you had to develop rhythms for the first time in my life. Now, babies, oh, oh, bundles of joy, also force you to develop some new life rhythms, right? Newborns have this, have this crazy schedule, and then all of a sudden it changes, right? It goes from naps to feeding to naps, and that sounds pretty good, actually. <laughs> um, naps and food and more naps and... But anyway, like, you get, you get to a certain point where you find this rhythm. You're like, man, I'm in a good stretch. We are, we're going great. And then all of a sudden, the baby decides to drop a nap, and now my life is ruined for a couple of weeks. And then we figure out a new rhythm. Now, the most, the most that we start to develop new rhythms is, anybody guess when we develop new rhythms? New Year's resolutions. Yeah, we try and develop new rhythms then, don't we? Right? We all make the decision, I'm going to lose 300 pounds this year. And it's like, that's lofty goal. Uh, That's great. So you start to develop some rhythms around that, right? Like we're going to the gym for a solid two weeks. Uh, It's just real strong. And you cut out everything in life that tastes yummy, and you start to eat things like broccoli and food that your food eats. And it's like, this is terrible. Everything's green. We hit the gym and, and we, start, we start maybe disrupting these rhythms a little bit where, oh, I got a little cough because it's cold and flu season. I got that from the gym, not going back, right? And then, then we start to hear the chips in the pantry chanting our name at 11.30 at night when we're supposed to be asleep, right? We try and develop these rhythms in life. Developing rhythms is not a new part of life. And in our scripture this morning, Paul is talking about the development of spiritual rhythms to help shape how we live. So if you have your Bibles, we're going to be in Colossians chapter 2 this morning. Colossians chapter 2. If, if you didn't bring your Bible, didn't grab one on the shelf on the way in, we'll have it up on the screen. If you don't have a Bible to call your own, something you can write your name in, be like, this is my Bible, this is my workbook, take one off the shelves as you leave. Uh, We'd love for that to be a a gift from us to you. We'd love for you to just have the word of God in your hands at any time you want it. And so Colossians chapter 2 is where we're going to set up camp this morning. Paul writes, starting in verse 6, Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him, and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit, according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. For in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily, and you have been filled in him 
who is the head of all rule and authority. So here's, here's where we're going this morning. Here's, here's our big idea. Here's our on-ramp and our off-ramp, okay? Here it is right here. It's brand new information, I know. In Christ, we have everything we need. In Christ, we have everything we need. You see, if we've spent any time in church, we've heard this before. Right? That Jesus is everything we need. But here's the deal. It's very different to hear something than it is to adhere to something. We may have heard this before, but we do not live this enough. If, if we're honest with ourselves, we know that we are easily distracted. And I, I know in my life, maybe it's true for yours as well, that, that Satan doesn't come in and try and get me distracted all at once. He doesn't come in in one fell swoop and just, just try and take hold of me. No, he does it inch by inch by inch until our focus isn't even close to Christ anymore. Satan's goal is to distract our hearts, disrupt our rhythms, and divert our attention away from Christ. Why? Because he knows what we know is that in Christ we have everything we need. And Satan doesn't want us to have anything. Paul wrote these words because the church in Colossae was under attack. I'd like to label this as the attack of distraction. They, they were under the attack of distraction by the world around them. You see, again, because Satan is clever, false teachers were infiltrating the church, and they were not talking about abandoning the message of Christ. No, no. They were not abandoning the message of Jesus. They were simply adding to it. They were not preaching a gospel of Jesus only. They were preaching a, mes a message of Jesus and anything else. It was a message that was not solely focused on Christ as the center of everything we need. Christ was taught, but only as a component of life, not as life itself. In our scripture today, we have Paul giving clear instructions about focusing on Christ, focusing on his supremacy, his sufficiency, his truth and relationship with him, and avoiding the distractions of the world around us. Our entire passage here is about elevating Christ. He starts in verse 6, and this is where I think we start to see the development of spiritual Rhythms, He says in verses 6 and 7, Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in Him, rooted and built up in Him, and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. See, Paul writes about the Colossian church's initial receiving of the gospel message, most likely through Epaphras, who was mentioned in chapter 1. We don't know that because we didn't read all of chapter 1 yet. Chapter 1, verse 7 is where Epaphras is mentioned about bringing the gospel message to the church in Colossae. Paul then reminds the church to walk in Christ, and then, then he gives them examples of how to walk in Christ to be rooted and built up in him, to be established in the faith and abounding in thanksgiving all to Christ. You see, Paul is taking this opportunity to remind the church of their conversion. And I have to believe that whenever Paul reminds a church or a person of their conversion, he has to think of his own. 
He has to think of that moment on the road where Jesus encountered him. Where he showed himself to Paul and changed his entire life. He's talking with the church about their conversion, the, the impact that it, that it made on them, and he's paying attention to the spiritual formation part of their discipleship process now. He's, he's reminding them of what happened and, and giving them tools to continue to grow and build and strengthen their relationship with Christ. He first talks about walking in Christ. Some of our translations might say continue to live in him. You see, walking in Christ means to be conducting our lives with Christ at the center and nothing else. See, Christ needs to be the focus. Christ needs to be the center. Christ needs to be in the middle of our lives so that Jesus spills into every direction, every decision, and every discussion that we have. Walking in Christ places Jesus at the center. I also want to pay attention to the word walk itself in terms of our pace. You see, walking with Jesus is not a hurried pace. It's not a fast-paced movement, but a steady movement. A movement that is sustainable for long stretches of time. You see, we tend to attempt to, to live life at the speed of light, do we not? I saw a shirt the other day in the store, and it said, no days off. No days off. Now, the most disturbing part of the shirt is that it was for a child. There's something wrong with that. No days off? This, this is the message we are communicating to our next generation, a, a fast-paced, overworked life, because we live in an instant culture. Here's the deal, that's not how Jesus works. Our life with Christ cannot be microwaved. It cannot be ordered ahead to pick up later. It cannot be placed in an Instapot. Our life with Christ cannot be downloaded or uploaded in the matter of seconds. See, while we live in an instant culture, we serve and surrender to an intentional Savior. You see, intentionality takes time. So when Paul uses that word walk, it's an opportunity for us to pause. And we need to walk as if the relationship matters more than the destination. So what does it mean to walk in Christ? Paul gives us three big examples, right? Gives us three good word pictures, which is how my brain relates to everything. It's like, let me draw you a picture. Perfect. Great. Now I know what you're talking about. He says being rooted in Christ. Now this is, this is an agricultural term that I'm sure most of you know more about than I do. Probably Eric knows more than all of us, but let's just put that out there. This is an agricultural term in the ancient world, being rooted in Christ. It means to grow strong and healthy in a constant manner. Receiving what is needed from the source See, roots, roots are where plants are anchored in the middle of storms. It, it's where they receive nutrients from and where water is stored, all so that growth can happen. Growth in our spiritual lives is similar. When our root system, when the core of our lives is placed firmly in Christ, we become anchored to the source for life. We become anchored to the source for transformation. We become anchored to the source for growth. 
We need our roots to be in Christ in order to receive what God has for us. Why? Because roots enable growth. If we are to walk in Christ, we first need to be rooted in Christ. Then Paul gives another word picture. He's not just speaking to, to the agricultural uh, world, but he, he then gives an architectural term, right? To be built up in Christ. This, this word means to have a foundation, a foundation strong enough to withstand construction on top. The, the foundation is, is one of the first places construction starts because without a solid and unmovable foundation, the entire building is at risk. The foundation of our spiritual lives needs to be placed on Christ. You see, foundation enables strength, but this is not a strength that comes from us. This, this is not a strength by our own hands or by our own work ethic, but strength that only comes from Christ as our foundation. If we are to walk in Christ, we must build our foundation on Christ because anywhere else it crumbles. He uses a final word picture saying being established in faith, right? We have, we have the agricultural term, we have the architectural term, and now we have a legal term. See, this word established means to keep strong, to be unwavering, to strengthen, to commit, to have a contract, a binding contract. See, when Paul says to be established in the faith, he is talking directly about having a faith that is not persuaded easily or daily. Faith that is strong is a faith that is not dependent on the circumstances around us, but is dependent on the Savior who surrounds us. If we are to walk with Christ, our faith must be secured in Christ alone. This, this is the path of spiritual growth here. In, in all of these words, growth and foundation and strength and commitment are all words that are used to talk about spiritual growth in Christ. Walking in Christ is developing the relationship with Christ. Being, being rooted in Christ is growing the relationship with Christ. Built up in Christ is giving our relationship a foundation. Being established in the faith is committing to the relationship. You see, Paul is talking about developing spiritual rhythms that allow us to walk and grow and build and strengthen our relationship with Jesus. A spiritual rhythm is a spiritual practice that places ourselves before Jesus so that he can do the work of transformation in our lives. Amen. Daily practices of prayer. Time in God's word, confession, worship, spending time in silence and solitude, or spending time serving someone else. I've, I've heard people say to me before, boy, that's just a really nice luxury. It's not a luxury, it's a necessity. Time with Jesus, that, that one hour before the kids get up is really important. Not to unload the dishwasher, but to spend time in his word. Walking in Christ means spending significant time with him, not the time that is left over, but time that is intentional. Building a relationship with Christ doesn't happen accidentally, but intentionally. We must intentionally walk with Christ so that what is destructive does not distract us, and that's what Paul talks about in verse 8. Verse 8, Paul writes, 
See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit, according to human tradition, uh, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. This is the destructive distractions that come into our lives or cultural rhythms. Paul starts verse 8 with a very important word. It says to see. See to it. If we're going to be on guard against what is not from Christ, we have to see it. We, we have to be looking for it, not to engage with it, but to knowingly disengage. This word captive, see to it that no one takes you captive. Captive means to be robbed, to, to be stolen away, to be carried away from. The distractions of the world are meant to rob us of our relationship with Christ. They, they are meant to disrupt our growth in Christ. They are meant to destroy the foundation on which our lives are built. See, remember that the false teachers that are entering the church in Colossae are not preaching against Jesus. They're simply adding to him. Paul gives some examples of not being taken captive by philosophy and empty deceit. Now, now, when Paul says to steer clear of philosophy and empty deceit, he's not making a blanket statement that all philosophy is bad or, or that in the, in the ancient world that it, was, that it had any negative connotations because it didn't. But, but Paul would have simply meant teachings that are only coming from man's lips. He, he calls this empty deceit, which, which later he contrasts with being filled in Christ, Empty deceit would have been teachings not centered on the life and death and resurrection of Christ, but would have been centered around an individual. How do I feel? How does this make me feel? It's a very me-focused. He then says human tradition. Paul says, steer clear of, of, of philosophy and empty deceit and human tradition, right? Paul mentions human tradition in verse 8, and it directly relates to another form of distraction that's infiltrating the church. He says that the, the human tradition in Colossae had to do with a secret and speculative notions about man's relation to the universe and to God. This, this human tradition... The, the empty deceit philosophy places man at the center and Christ as a component instead of at the center. It's another example of Satan inching us away from our focus being on Jesus. Paul ends his cultural rhythms by talking about elemental spirits of the world and boy, have theologians had an argument about this. What is Paul talking about here? elemental spirits of the world the original greek translation the literal greek translation says elements of the world been a lot of argument about this what does it mean well we're not certain about the details of what paul is talking about we can draw a very simple conclusion that the elements of the world are not the elements of christ we don't need to argue about it anymore Paul's general words of warning here are simply to be on the lookout for what takes our focus away from Jesus. What, what distracts our hearts and our minds and our souls? What interferes with the transformative work that Jesus is doing in our lives? One of, the, one of my favorite things to do uh, now that I'm the executive minister is I still get to hang out with our fourth and fifth graders on Wednesday nights during the school year. It is just some of the best time of the week. It's just awesome. 
getting to, to jump back into youth ministry is so fun. But every, about once a semester, we play a game downstairs where, where we have one kid on the end of the room who's, who's blindfolded and we have another kid on the other end of the room shouting out instructions for the blindfolded one to walk through without being tripped up. You see the rest of the peers are sitting down on the ground trying to call out and trip up and yell out different things so that this person can't hear the voice of this person. They have to listen to the right voice. They can't be tuned in to the kid who's sitting on the ground. I was that kid yelling things out. That's not a surprise to anybody. And watching them navigate through the room, paying really specific attention to that one really important voice. This, this is what Paul is directly talking about here. The voices that are trying to distract versus the voice that really matters. He says, see to it. No one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit, by, by human tradition, by elements of the world that aren't of Christ, we need to be paying attention, church. We, we cannot sit idly by and allow the world to have such an influence on our lives. We, we must ground ourselves, our lives, our ideas, and our calling in Jesus and Jesus alone. We, we cannot be distracted by what sounds good or what the world says is right. We cannot be taken captive by the thoughts of the world and not be taken captive by the truth of the scriptures. See, we cannot be in awe of the world around us and, and be in awe of the Savior who died for us because here's the thing, everyone. Nothing out there is going to die for you. Nothing. That promotion and that title that we're working for doesn't die for you. It continues on without you what we are giving ourselves over to does not, does not die for us. But the Savior already did. You see, we cannot be nourished by Christ if we are being spoon-fed by the world. Our eyes must be open and remain open. Just as Paul talks about developing spiritual rhythms in Christ... And, and growing a foundation in Christ and strengthening our faith and, and abounding in thanksgiving, Paul warns directly against these cultural rhythms that pull us away. You see, spiritual rhythms give. Cultural rhythms take. Spiritual rhythms grow. Cultural rhythms deplete. Spiritual rhythms draw us to Christ. Cultural rhythms draw us away from Christ. Spiritual rhythms place Jesus at the center. Cultural rhythms place us at the center. That's not a good spot for us to be. You see, in Christ, we have everything we need. And Satan will use anything to distract us from that fact. That's why Paul finishes this text with elevating Christ, elevating Jesus, verses 9 and 10. For in him, the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily, and you have been filled in him, who is the head of all rule and authority. Paul ends our passage this morning with elevating and exalting Christ. He talks about the fullness of the deity dwelling, living in Jesus, which means that nothing else holds on to what Jesus holds on to. Authority doesn't sit beyond what Jesus has. 
Grace doesn't sit beyond what Jesus has. Truth doesn't sit beyond what Jesus has. Love doesn't sit beyond what Jesus has. Jesus is where everything starts and where everything ends. Remember, he's the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. Jesus is the fullness of deity. Nothing else holds the position of Lord and Savior of all. Paul elevates Jesus and then talks about the benefit of being with Jesus again. This this is where Paul contrasts the idea of empty deceit and being filled by Christ. See, empty deceit does just that. It empties us. But, But life with Christ fills. We know what it looks like to run on empty. We we know what it feels like when we have nothing left to give. We know what fatigue feels like. We we know what it's like to live with a depleted energy and a disengaged heart. We know that feeling. Maybe we're in that feeling right now. See, the fullness that we seek doesn't sit in a busy and overcrowded schedule. Fullness sits at the feet of Jesus. We spoke last week of Mary and Martha, and I just love this story. I know Randy preached on it not too long ago, but I just, I love this, right? We, we spoke about, about Martha inviting Jesus into her home, and then Martha gets busy with all the stuff. And Mary is sitting at Jesus' feet, and I love in the middle of this, Martha gets so angry, she goes over to Jesus, she says, tell her to help me. Jesus' words bring tears to my eyes every time. He says, you are worried and upset about many things, but only one thing is needed. Mary has chosen what is better. We could pray and pass the plates, but I'm not done yet. So... um, Paul is reminding us that fullness is only in Christ. You have been filled in him. We have been filled in him. In Jesus, we are filled. Filled with his love, with his grace, with his truth, with his authority, with his rest, with his peace. We we are filled with his time and his provision and his calling on our lives. Paul is very clear that we cannot receive the attributes of Christ anywhere else. He's also clear that distractions are everywhere. So how do we set up spiritual rhythms in our life that Paul talks about here? How do we we start to elevate Christ on a daily basis? How how do we place Christ at the center of of our lives. Well, in order, to, in order to look at this, we need to go back to our scripture and walk through the in hymns in here. Paul says in verse 6, so walk in him. He says in verse 7, be rooted and built up in him. He says in verse 9, for in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. Verse 10, and you have been filled in him who is the head of all rule and authority. You see, we have to walk in him. We first need to make a commitment to walk in Him. We need to be conducting our lives according to Christ and not according to the noises around us. This this is the commitment of our hearts to Christ. 
See, when we commit our hearts, we lay down our desires, our wants, our joys, and our struggles to Jesus. Conducting our lives according to Jesus is living a life that is not sold out to the world, but surrendered to Christ. Daily surrendering and submitting to his good, pleasing, and perfect will means that we have to let go of our lousy, selfish, and imperfect wants. We have to walk in him. We need to be rooted and built up in him. If we're going to build spiritual rhythms in our lives, we need to make the practice of them a priority. Amen. We, we need to make space, not find space. Amen. We need to make space for time in God's word. Not simply checking the box of reading our Bible, but checking our hearts so that they're in the right place. We need to make time for our prayer life, right? Not praying that God would align to our will, but that we would align to his. We need, we need to be spending uninterrupted daily time with Christ because it will nourish and revive our souls. In, in my grad school classes, uh, there's a mom, uh, a single mom of of four and her youngest daughter has some special needs and all of her kids know that when mom is wearing a hoodie and sitting in her chair with her hood up don't bother her she has developed this rhythm with her family I didn't even tell her I was going to share that hopefully she's hey if you're watching <laughs> you're inspiring to others she has developed this rhythm that her children know about and they're not just knowing about it they're learning about it Spending time with Christ every day will nourish and revive our souls. We need to walk in Him. We need to be rooted and built up in Him. We need to be filled in Him. We cannot experience fullness without being in Christ. We can't. We'll chase it all day, but we can't find it. We can't experience it until we are in Christ. He, he speaks of the emptiness that awaits us through, through the world's opinions and then speaks of the fullness that is experienced through Christ's truth. You see, if we want to stop experiencing emptiness, we need to start encountering Christ. Amen. Jesus is where transformation takes place and restoration begins to take shape. I like to leave us with a couple of questions this morning. Maybe they're questions that you might even write down and reflect on later. The first question that has really challenged my heart this week in this passage is what distractions do we need to surrender? What distractions do we need to surrender? What, what opinions, what desires, what influences, what myths, what lies, what soundtracks that we play over and over in our mind? What distractions need to be surrendered this morning before we leave? Not what distractions need to be put on silence mode. Because we know when we put it on silence mode, we check it more often. Did you know that? We don't need to put our distractions on silent mode. They need to be released and given up and surrendered. What distractions do we need to surrender? The second question is, what rhythms do we need to start? What, what rhythms do we need to start? What spiritual rhythms do we need back in our lives today? What, what time are we going to give to Jesus today or Monday or Tuesday or the rest of the week? 
What, what scripture are we going to pour ourselves over? What, what prayer conversation needs to happen with the Lord this week? And I say conversation because it's not simply, Lord, please help me in all of these things. Thanks. Amen. We have to rest there. There's a pause that we generally don't take in our prayer life where we get to receive from God. What would it take to spend an hour with Christ this week? Where do we need to carve that time out? Where do we need to separate that time and space so that we can be with our Savior? What distractions do we need to surrender? What rhythms do we need to start? One of my favorite passages, which is pretty obvious, is John 16, 33. Jesus with the disciples. He says, in this world, there's going to be problems. You're going to have struggles. There's going to be disappointments. There's going to be things that cause trouble. But take heart, because I have overcome the world. Church, we need to stop surrendering to what Jesus overcame. And we need to start surrendering to the overcomer.